Please take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and who knows the next book? Joshua, chapter 22. Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. Now that's a reference to Numbers 32. In Numbers 32, when they were ready to, getting ready to go into the promised land, Reuben and Gad came and said, We like this land over here. We've got lots of flocks, we've got lots of herds and cattle, and this is great land, and we've conquered this land. Let us stay on the east side of the Jordan and not go across the Jordan into the west side. And uh, you remember the scripture says that uh, uh, the answer was you've got to help, come and help your brothers in the other nine and a half tribes get into the land and conquer the land. And so Joshua says, you have not left your brethren. You did what we ask you to do. Verse 4. And now the Lord God, your God, has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, remember there were 12 tribes of Israel, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they possessed, according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh, built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. This is one of the fascinating stories of the Old Testament to me. I titled this message, Winning at Spiritual Warfare. Now, what I want to look at here is how do we deal with the issues of life when the devil always has a hidden agenda? How do we deal with the issues of life when the devil always has a hidden agenda? And he always has a hidden agenda. I love a story from uh, D-Day. Uh, you know, it's amazing that happened uh, 50 years ago. And to this day, many of us remember a hero of that day. In fact, nearly everybody over, over, 
over 55 would know his middle initial, General Dwight Blank Eisenhower. What's the middle initial? If you know, raise your hand. Okay, who knows what it is? Say it. D. D. Dwight David Eisenhower. Isn't that amazing? I guess amazing. 50 years after a guy does his greatest work, 85% of all Americans know his middle initial. You know, I'm going to die and in three years you won't even remember my first initial. It's G. <laughs> but anyway, General Dwight, no, it's C. Uh, General Dwight D. Eisenhower. He envisioned the great Operation Overlord. He pulled together and tamed the feuding, strong-willed generals of France and uh, uh, of Britain, particularly, but the underground leaders of France to get cooperation. And he put together a massive, incredible army, a massive navy. He put together a massive force, and on the appointed day, everything was just right. The moon was right, they reported. <laughs> They said that the troops were ready, the arms were ready, but the weather was wrong. And a Royal Air Force meteorologist came in that day and said, the weather is bad, there is a slight chance of a break. And this was reported in Eisenhower's biography. He didn't flinch for a moment. He said, we're going then. He made the decision that quickly and called for D-Day to begin. And uh, for the next hour or two, he sat all alone in his quarters while everybody else went to carry out his orders. And he wrote two news releases. One was a news release acknowledging the defeat and accepting responsibility for the defeat at battle. And the other was a news release acknowledging the victory and giving credit to everybody who had been a part of the victory. And he waited till the word was in to decide which of the releases he would give to the press. And defeating the tyranny of Nazism and of Nazi Germany and Hitler's Germany in that day he became a hero. But it's fascinating to me. He had two news releases written and prepared. Not because he didn't think he would win. But I want to remind us that spiritual warfare means that there's always a battle in the spirit world that corresponds to and precedes what happens here on earth. And you and I write the script by how we respond to the spiritual warfare. It will be victory or it will be defeat based upon how we respond to God's commands in that spiritual warfare. It's the battle that goes on in the spirit world. Sometimes it's a battle that goes on in heaven. Sometimes it's a battle that goes on in society, in the world around us, the cosmos. Sometimes it's a battle in our minds. Sometimes it's a battle that goes on in philosophy and education and society in the intellectual world. But spiritual warfare is always manifested on earth in some way.
The battle in heaven, the battle in the spirit world, the battle in the world of thought, the battle in the non-material world is always manifested in some material way. It may be a broken marriage. It may be a lost business. It may be a bitterness between families. It may be a job conflict. But Chris, as Christians, we know that we don't live in this fleshly world alone. That everything that goes on here has a corresponding battle in the spirit world. Because the devil has a hidden agenda. Always has an agenda. You know, when I first passed, it was the funniest thing. You know, I'd had a course in counseling at Trinity, and I I thought I was really prepared. We didn't do a lot of counseling in those days. People didn't have many problems back in those days, 106 years ago. Or if they had their problems, they kept them to themselves. That's one of the ways the pastorate and the ministry has changed. But anyway, I'd have a woman come in, and she would lay her husband out. That's a meanest snake. He's not appreciative of anything I do. She would run up one side and down the other. That guy, and I'd sit there, and by the time we were done, she had preached to me for an hour, and I was convinced that guy is a bird. That guy is a snake in the grass. That guy needs to be horsewhipped. And, and, and Dr. Verga, I, I just, I get all one over to that side. And then I'd call him and say, would you come in and talk? And then he'd come in and he'd say, you have no idea the kind of woman I'm living with. And man, he'd tell me how she'd yell and scream and nag, what a hag she was, what she looked like in the morning, and how she burned the chicken. And he would run her up one side and down the other. By the time I was, con- I was done, I was absolutely convinced, man, that's the awfulest woman I've ever seen. I had no idea she was like that. And then I realized that each of them had a hidden agenda. The agenda, you know, I learned something that you don't solve the other person's problem by talking about him when he's not there. Amen? And you don't solve her problem by talking about her when she's not there. So let's not talk about her. I soon learned that because I was emotionally jerked from one side to the other. Boy, this woman, I've got to straighten her out. Boy, this man, I've got to straighten him out. But they always had the agenda was to get me on their side. They wanted sympathy, commiseration. They wanted support for their position. You know what I learned? There's always her side, his side, and the right side. <laughs> there are three sides to You know that. There are three sides to every, every problem. The devil always has an agenda which is not seen immediately. Now let's take our example in Joshua 22. When the tribes, the two and a half tribes, decided they wanted that land on the east side, they were promised it by Moses. When they had secured peace in the land for the other nine and a half tribes, nine and a half plus two and a half equals what? Kids, is it still equal 12? Okay. They said, now let us go to our land. And Joshua said, you know, that's a good idea. You have done what we ask you to do. You've helped us. I love this charge. This is one of the greatest single verses in all of the Bible. Take your pen and underline the infinitives, the verbs there in verse 5. He said, go on into the land, but now watch this. There are seven of them. He said, take heed to do the commandment, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, 
and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, I'd like to give you an assignment this week. Young people, memorize that verse and underline the seven major verbs in that verse. And that encompasses always a life with God. Take heed, do the commandments, love the Lord, walk in his ways, keep his commandments, hold fast to him, serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Wouldn't that make a great message by itself? Just memorize those, those verbs. That makes the believer's life, really. Now, how do we get caught up in spiritual warfare and either become victims or victors? I want to show you some ways, and I want to illustrate through what happened in this chapter. The first way we get caught up, we get caught up and get to be victims is this. By trusting perceptions. Now watch. Verse 10 says they built a great impressive altar. Now watch what happened in the story. It's a fascinating story. In verse 11, the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan. Right on the border. Verse 12. When the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now listen to what happened here. Somebody comes back. They build a big altar. They build a big altar right on the border. And immediately they all gather and start ready to go to war against their own brethren. That's how Satan deceives us and gets us involved. He, he creates assumptions or perceptions rather that we trust. First a perception. And the perception was they have built a giant altar to another God. They have violated our God in the land and we must go to war and we're going to settle this now. Do you know, I see that happen among Christians so often. We get a perception that somebody is like this or somebody has done this and we start acting on that perception. Friends, your mind is a spiritual battlefield and one of the ways Satan gets you involved in spiritual warfare to frustrate and thwart the plan of God is to give you a perception and impression about somebody or something when you don't know the reality of it or the truth about it and he causes you to act on that perception. That does more harm in the body of Christ and it's one of Satan's greatest tricks to get us to trust our perceptions. Do you believe everything you see? Do you believe every first impression? If I believed every first impression, I'll tell you about some of you. I don't know about you. And some of you don't know about me. You know, this church has a perception that it's a great, big, rich church. Big doesn't mean rich. Amen? Anybody who weighs over 200 pounds knows that. <laughs> but you see, that's one of the devil's greatest tricks. And you know there's spiritual warfare on when he deceives you into trusting your perceptions and getting you to act upon those. And that's what the nine and a half tribes did. 
So in verse 13, the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest to the children of Reuben, children of Gad. With ten, in verse 14, with him 10 rulers, one ruler each from the chief houses of every tribe. They came to the children of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And verse 16, thus says the whole congregation. The amazing thing is that they all agreed to build that altar on the border was rebellion. In fact, they called it the altar of rebellion. What treachery is this, verse 16, that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, in that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. Why have you done this? We're going to war. We're going to straighten you out. Trusting what they perceived. You know, I was up in Moncton, New Brunswick one time in a meeting. And a man said, I want to take you out to Magnetic Hill, where the hill is such a strong magnet, it pulls cars up the hill. I said, you got to be kidding. Anybody here ever been to it? Yeah? Have you been, Glenn? And so I went out there, and sure enough, from the vantage point, you can watch, there's the hill. And, and that car, without any uh, acceleration, without even the motor running, will run and coast right up the hill. But it's all a deception. It only looks like the hill goes up. It really goes down. It's one of the most interesting things I've ever seen. And that is one of Satan's great tools. And he almost caused an obliterating war among the people of God because they trusted perceptions what they saw. And everybody in this room has gotten into trouble when you got an idea in your mind about somebody or something and you acted upon that perception. See, that's a battle of the mind. And Satan loves to play with our minds. He loves that. It's a great tool in Satan's arsenal. But now there's something else that happens then. Not only by trusting perceptions, but once we trust perceptions, we start making assumptions. Now, as we think about a perception we've got, man, has this ever happened to me? I think about it over and over and over again until it becomes real to me. And then I make a mental assumption. This is true. This is real. This is the way it is. This is the way that person is. This is the way this person is. And then I get myself in horrible trouble when I act upon the assumption which arises out of the perception. And that is the second arsenal that Satan has a tool in his great arsenal of spiritual warfare. Among the people of God, notice this, what happens here. They say, we're going to war. This is treachery. Verse 17, is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us that you, verse 18, must turn away this day from following the Lord? And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation. See, if you're sinning, we will pay the price for your sin. Achan sinned and the whole camp was defeated because Achan sinned. I don't think any of us have any... No. Many of us do not have... I must not make an assumption based upon a perception. Many of us do not have the whole picture. See, we don't fully understand how sin in one person's life in this church can affect the entire body, but it does. If there's sin in the camp and God is displeased, your testimony 
affects me and all of this body. And my testimony affects you and the name of this church. Do you agree with that? And I believe that sin is a reproach not only against God, but it's a reproach against the people of God. And they said, he will be angry with the whole congregation. And based on that, see, they even used Achan as, as an illustration in verse 20. Based on that, wrath will fall on all the congregation and we're going to war. You know, Satan loves to stir us up and get us fighting with each other, doesn't he? He, he just loved to, to have something come between Eddie Branscombe and me. He just loved for something to come between you and me. He just loved to raise, and, and that's spiritual warfare. Folks, that's not just the flesh, the world. It's also the devil, and it's spiritual warfare. When it is in the spirit world, the thought world, or in heaven, that is the way. And I, I think with all my heart, that right here, Satan was seeking to destroy God's plan to settle his people in that land and accomplish his will. And he does it in your life. He does it often in your life. You get an idea, you think about it, it becomes a, a, an emotional tyrant over you or a mental tyrant, and then you start acting on it. And the result is he causes division in the body. And he causes pain in the body. And he causes pain in a marriage. And he causes pain in a family. A child gets an idea. Daddy doesn't love her. And she begins to build an assumption. And then she begins to act on that assumption. And pretty soon there's a huge rift in the family. So by making assumptions, we get caught up in Satan's act in spiritual warfare. But here's the third step. By acting on the assumptions and not talking out the differences, we become direct tools of his. <laughs> well, verse 21 says, the children of Reuben, Gad and Manasseh said, hold it. Wait right here. You see that word? That's in the living Bible. Um, verse 22, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. Wow. Now they're going to sit down and talk about their perceptions and assumptions. The Lord knows and let Israel itself know. You ought to know because God knows. If it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. Back away, Israel. If our motive is wrong, let God judge us. Not bad advice in the middle of any set of perceptions and assumptions. Let it be to God. You are not appointed to judge every Everybody's motives and intentions. God has reserved that for himself. Give the conflict time. Give the other person time. And so he says in verse uh, 24, in fact, I like this, to tell you the truth, they said, we have done this uh, for fear, for a reason, saying, and here's our reasoning, in time to come, your descendants over there in the West Bank may speak to our descendants over here in the East Bank and saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord. We were afraid that someday you over there in Israel would forget that we belong to you and that we belong to God. 
Therefore, we said, verse 26, uh, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice. We haven't built this altar to make sacrifices on a strange altar to God or to worship some other God. No, 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 he said, that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when, we, when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, we will say, here's the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made. Though not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, it is a witness. Not an altar of rebellion, but an altar of witness to remind you that we belong to the Lord. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar. Far be it from us anything besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. And suddenly when they talked it out, what happened? The nine and a half tribes got the truth. They got the reality. Son, talk to your dad. Get the truth. Dad, talk to your son. Get the truth. The truth is always the primary tool in the spiritual warfare against evil and Satan. Truth is God's way of dealing with spiritual warfare. He said, let us tell you why we built this altar. You saw the altar. You made an assumption as to a false god and you were going to go to war and Satan would use you to destroy the people and thwart God's plan to bring his people into the land and make them a nation and we want you to know the truth. And immediately when they talked it through and got the truth, it was all different. <laughs> oh, Satan's so sly and cunning. Don't you ever believe that what you see is what you get, folks. What you see going on in this world is just an indication of what's going on in spiritual things, in the spirit world in heaven. It is, it is just an indication. It is just an evidence that there, beyond the level of what we can see is a battle going on. You have no idea. You know the argument you have with your wife? You think back on that. The devil played tricks with your mind and caused that. You know the argument you had with your daughter? The devil used you and played tricks with you. And, and if he can divide that family and create disruption in the family and distrust and lack of respect, he has accomplished his goal and thwarted the plan of God for your marriage and for your family. Shame on us for getting caught up in Satan's trap of spiritual warfare. Well, the result of this, however, it turned out well because they talked it through. Isn't that why Matthew 18 says, if your brother has faulted you, you go to your brother and show him his fault and get the truth and get an understanding. Find out what is really going on. The result turned out to be unity when they followed God's way Verse 30 says, when Phinehas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. It brought peace, Brother Larry, which we've been singing about. It brought peace. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the children of Reuben, children of Gad, the children of Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us. 
because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. Isn't that great? We've restored peace and the Lord is among us. And we can live for God on both sides of the Jordan because we had a perception which turned into an assumption, but we didn't let the devil deceive us into action. We sat down and talked about it and we solved the problem. Wow. That by itself would bring revival. You know, um, maybe 9, 10, 11 years ago, Don, we had a family life camp and uh, we had a speaker in and I will never, ever, ever forget an illustration that he used. He said, suppose there's a, a mama in the kitchen and it's three o'clock in the afternoon and Junior comes home from school and rushes into the kitchen and he gets out the pita pan peanut butter, rich, creamy, and delicious. I like the crunchy kind myself, don't you? I, I like the crunchy. I, I want to feel something when it's going down. Uh, but you watch out for that hydrogenated oil in there. And uh, Junior gets out that big jar of peanut butter and he gets out a great big jar of Bama grape jelly and he gets out the white lap bread. Don't ever make a peanut butter sandwich out of whole wheat bread. Oh, that's... It tastes like a stale graham cracker with buttermilk on it. So what you want is that white light bread and old Junior gets out that bread and he... Peels that peanut butter all over the bread. Get, be sure to get the corners. Don't miss the corners, right? And then he covers it with Bama jelly. He gets out the milk, gets him a cold glass of milk. He inhales that sandwich and inhales the milk. Says, bye, Mom, see ya, and leaves the peanut butter, jelly, and bread right where, Mom? You know, right on the cabinet so you can clean it up. She puts it away, and about five to five, he comes back into the kitchen and he says, Mom, when do we eat? And Mom says, get out of my hair. I'm trying to fix supper. Can't you leave me alone? You're just like your dad. You're always bothering me. You make a mess in here, and I can never keep you filled. You're ruining the household budget. Get out of here. And Junior walks out defeated. Oh, Mom's in a bad mood. Goes across the street, 525. Dad drives in the driveway, gets out, sees Junior over there. Hi, Junior, how you doing? Oh, not too well. Uh-oh, mom's in a bad mood again. Gonna be a bad evening. Dad walks in like this. Junior walks in like this. Mom walks in like this. The beans have been burned. They got strings all through them. She got so preoccupied she forgot to string the beans. They sit down at dinner. They eat the dinner. Nobody says anything to anybody. They run, all of them run for Alka-Seltzer or Maalox. It's a sad evening the whole night. But then, let's have a rerun. You like reruns? I like to see it the second time. Let's rerun that. Suppose it's 3 o'clock, got it? Junior comes in from school. You, I'm not going to go through all that again. He gets out the peanut butter and the bamboo jelly and the white light bread and the glass of cold milk and uh, says goodbye. At 5 to 5, he comes back in and says, Mom, when do we eat? And Mom, not wanting to get caught into a trap, says, why, why do you ask, honey? Why do you ask? She gets more information. She talks about it. She wants to traffic in truth. And he says, oh, I'm not hungry. 
I just wanted to know how much longer I had to play. And she says, oh, when you see Daddy's car drive in the driveway, you'll know it's ready, it's time to eat. We'll eat within five minutes. Man, he goes out, boy, Mom's in a good mood. Isn't this great? He feels good about himself. Mom feels good about himself. And he goes out to play. And when Dad drives in, he goes out and says, hi, Junior. And Junior says, hi, Dad. And Dad says, oh, wow, Mom's in a good mood today. <laughs> and they walk in, and the dinner is perfectly prepared because she feels so good about herself. She's got 12-inch candles lit, quiet, uh, Pavarotti music playing. It's spaghetti night. They eat, everybody talks, they have a wonderful prayer time. And when they're done, Dad says, let's all go out to Zach's for yogurt. And uh, everybody's happy. Now, what a difference it makes when you get the truth to deal with your perceptions and block the assumptions and halt divisive action. Well, the result was unity. They were together in working it out. They were together in, in uh, uh, accepting the explanation. They were together in being God's people. And Phineas, the priest, said, the Lord is among us. You know, people argue this church emphasizes truth. That church emphasizes love. This church emphasizes love. That truth and love are not dichotomies. Truth and love are partners. Paul said to Timothy that our goal of instruction is love. It takes truth and love to build commitment in a home, in a marriage, in a church. We don't elevate truth above love or love above truth. Both are essential and they are partners, if you please. How often we get caught up in spiritual warfare that defeats us and we become victims and not victors because we don't follow God's plan. I, I, I will just make some, I will make some conclusions for you. Number one, don't get caught in the trap. Don't get caught in Satan's trap of thinking that what you see is all there is. I want to tell you, Satan can take the circumstances and situations and in the spiritual world, in the mind, he can, he can play tricks with you and cause the body to do things which are incredible in my judgment. Secondly, secondly, always respect truth. Always respect truth and seek truth. But with truth, practice love. Paul said, speak the truth in what? Anger? No. Speak the truth in condemnation? No. Speak the truth in what? In love. In love. And thirdly, always remember that you're a citizen of two worlds. You live in this material world, but you're a part of the spiritual world. And because Satan, who he is not, uh, he's not omnipotent, nor is he omniscient, nor is he omnipresent, but Satan can win many battles and does in the spiritual world when we allow ourselves to become victims and not victors because we don't practice God's plan. Mike Tyson said, I hate everybody. Just when he was let out of jail, he said, I hate everybody. People tell me I can't hate everybody. I do hate everybody, he said, and I'm bitter. And I hate everybody. <laughs> I thought, my, how'd you like to go through life like that? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'd have to say that uh, he went in 
in the trial telling everybody how he wore a cross and loved Jesus. And he came out bitter, hating everybody. Satan has won the battle in that case. You know, several years ago, my parents were married for 50 years. Uh, I, I'm the kind of person, if I see something that needs to be done, I'm going to step out in the lead and put my head on the chopping block and get it going, right? I mean, that's just my nature. Uh, if I see 10 people standing around arguing about where to go to dinner, I want to say, well, let's go here. Let's solve the problem and get on with it. That's my nature. Gets me in trouble sometimes, but it's still my nature. Anybody, anybody here like that? You need to stand around, vote on the color of the sun. I mean, it's going to be, whether you vote or not, it's going to be that color, right? So I waited and waited, and I didn't hear anybody trying to prepare anything for the 50th anniversary. So I wrote a letter to everybody and said, let's get together. Let's do something. Come on. Here's what let's do. And my sister, who's the oldest in the family, let her courts dander get up, and she called me, and she blistered the tar out of me. Who do you think you are? I'm the oldest child in this family. I'll set this up. I'll do it. And I said, well, I'm a child who was wanting to do something, and you hadn't done anything, so I did it. Southern Bell Lines got hot that day. And I thought about that for several days, and I thought, you know, the devil's sucking me up. He's sucking me into this trap, isn't he? Just because I didn't see anything didn't mean there was nothing going on, right? But I then watched the perception, made an assumption, and I'd take an action, and I nearly walked into, a, you know, call it whatever you want, but it was a firestorm. And so I sat down, wrote a long letter to her. I said, now, Naomi, I love you. You're my sister. You're my only sister. I've never had a sister like you, but you. <laughs> and I don't want to cause any problem. I'll just completely back out of this. You don't need, and, and I'm sorry, and I apologize. And I, I, so then she called me when she got the letter, and she apologized to me. And when we talked it out, we forbade Satan to destroy the unity of the family by praying together over the phone and talking about it and solving the misunderstanding. Perceptions can lead you to assumptions, and assumptions lead you to actions that can divide and you get caught in Satan's trap. I want to challenge you to live in peace with the Lord and with the body. And don't get caught in your family in Satan's trap. And remember the truth and love of partners. The truth is God is a judging God of justice who require the payment for your sin. But in his love, he sent Christ to pay it for you. And when truth and love meet at the cross, the consequences are unity and peace and commitment of our lives to the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm.